0: from Viewpoint Podcast Network. This is The Shot Clock, a weekly analysis on trending NBA news from the people who understand the sport best. Hello everybody. I'm Chris Pladdy from Viewpoint uh, podcast Network and this is our first ever podcast episode of the series The Shot Clock, a weekly podcast covering the NBA from the people who know it best, journalists and super fans. Before we start, we do want you to know that our show is on iTunes uh, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and on our website, viewpointnetwork.com slash the shot clock. On today's show, we'll be discussing Kevin Love and Rajon Rondo and much more in the U- uh, with US sports uh, radio and TV analyst Stephen Edwards, who is also the host of uh, sports podcast First Take UK. And so with that, we'll start with Kevin Love. Uh, it was announced and reported that he will miss the next four to six months which takes him out of the postseason for a shoulder injury that happened in Game 4 of the, of the first-round playoffs when the Cavs faced the Celtics. And, Stephen, I'll, I'll start with you. How does this impact his free agency?
1: It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, you, you go back to even the Kevin Love injury when it initially happened. I mean, I was sitting here thinking, well, you know, like a lot of other people, this would maybe be a couple of weeks, maybe three weeks. He will he was already ruled out of the next series, but that was it originally when they first broke the story. Um, and obviously, you know, he subsequently found out that it's a lot more serious. He's going to be out, as you say, for the four to six months. So... That's going to be interesting when you start looking at free agents because is it going to scare some teams off? Um, I mean, he's got an opportunity to be back in Cleveland for another year. Um, Originally, I thought that maybe he was more likely to actually leave Cleveland and go off to pastures new and maybe go off to the Lakers or, or wherever else he could potentially go to. I think the Lakers are probably going to be the front runners for him, but... I'm of the view now is the despite some of the issues that seem to be apparent on the court, I'm actually thinking maybe Kevin Love will actually come up, will actually stay in Cleveland now and will actually come back for one more year and when the salary cup then salary cap then goes up, then he'll be able to then either opt in for a max deal with the Cleveland Cavaliers, which will be astronomical amount of money I think by the time you get to that point or decide to then make the move and, and become a free agent at that particular point in time. I think you're going to see a lot of interesting decisions made by a lot of players over the course of the summer this year in relation to free agency but I actually think you'll stay there. I think it it affects maybe teams from a point of view they might back off a little bit but Overall, I don't think he's going to have a huge effect because I think he'll either sign with Cleveland or maybe head to the Lakers.
0: Yeah, I I agree 100%. I think that that Love will come back. Now I think he has, essentially, I don't think he really has a choice but to opt in, just the way I see it, because all everyone was critiquing him was the playoffs. He had to perform in the playoffs. And he did well, but it was only three games and it was only against the Celtics. So he i think he has to opt in and i think it's in his best interest too because he'll still get a five-year deal and even yeah. if he's not quote because a max player because there's rumors thrown around that teams are thinking he's no longer a max player because of his way i disagree i think he was uh, I, I don't think he was used to his full potential in cleveland so yeah. anyways i think that uh I think that this will this will be the best situation for him uh, for free agency because now he he gets that uh, as you said the cap explodes um, after next season so he'll be able to sign a deal and even if he doesn't get a technically max deal it'll still probably be more than what he would get this year if he if he was a free agent.
1: No, it is it as well when you think about pote- uh, pending free agency and you know as I say the Lakers the team that immediately springs to mind. Is he really going to leave a Cleveland situation in a, where there's going to be, obviously, a, a better chance of, of making the, the conference finals, the NBA finals, to go to another team, if, in all fairness at the moment, is in as much of disarray as what the Timberwolves were when he left them. So I I don't think when we're sitting here thinking about the free agency and some of the criticism that's been leveled against him, he's all of a sudden going to walk out of a situation that is much better for him to then go to a situation that's not exactly great because I think he'll certainly come back for for Cleveland and at least give it another shot because this playoffs has not ended how he wanted it to. I think maybe if he'd have had to run in the playoffs and things just hadn't gone well for whatever reason and Cleveland didn't end up with a title then all of a sudden you're sitting there thinking, well, you know, then what do I do? I think the, the worst scenario for him now in relation to the rest of the playoffs is that is that Cleveland win the title, and then Kevin Love is not a part of that really because he only played for three games. He wasn't involved in any of the latest, later part of the playoffs. And maybe you'll sit there and think, well, you know, that's all very nice. I've got a ring, but what does it really mean to me because I wasn't a big part of it anyway?
0: Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I also think I've been a fan of Kevin Love. Um, I think that he gets uh, criticized too heavily. I, I think he is a team player. I think he does want to win. That's why I've said from the start, I think he'll be back in Cleveland. Uh, if if, uh, if he did leave Cleveland, I would have totally understood because, listen, Blatt and LeBron with the, all the subtle shots at him throughout the season and David Blatt not yeah. using him right, he had perfect reasons to uh, to leave Cleveland, but I think he's going to actually stay for the long haul, and I think this is going to be a big three for the next five years or so on. I really do. Um, and now, with that um, incident, Kelly Olynyk, the player who was or the player who was involved in it, uh, as they were fighting for a rebound, he they got tangled, and Kelly Olynyk was the one who actually caused Kevin Love's shoulder to dislocate, and I mean, looking at the replay, I go back and forth. Do you think it was intentional?
1: I I d I don't think it was intentional. I mean, I think the only person that's gonna know if it was intentional is Kelly O'Lunick. I think that's you know, and he's not gonna come out and say that it was intentional. Um I don't think there's enough there for us to turn and to say, yes, that was intentional. Um it's it's poor. Um it's very unfortunate. And it's certainly not a play that we want to, that we ever want to see on the court again, but I don't think we can sit here and say that Kelly O'Linick deliberately set out to injure Kevin Love on that play. I think that's a that's a bit of a leap unfortunately
0: right. yeah I agree um I think that Kelly Olinick wasn't uh, doing it intentionally and it's a play that happens all the time I mean how many times do you see you see it at least 10 times a game where players get tangled going for rebounds yeah. and I think Kelly Olynyk just reacted the wrong way which caused Kevin Love's shoulder to dislocate. Yeah. I think I think he wasn't really aware of the how he was tangled with him because if you look at it he was looking at the ball so I think he was just kind of moving around trying to get out and I think that's when um uh when it happened. So and again Kelly Olynyk's not a He's not a Rondar Test. He's not somebody with a history of, of no. uh, violence against against any NBA players. Um, I mean, I, I'd have to look it up, but I don't even think he's had a technical in his career. Uh,
1: no, so. I mean, he's certainly not the guy that you'd you'd put out there and say, yeah, maybe or something like that. You know, it is just not there. There's not enough evidence there. And um, as I say, it's it's unfortunate. It's one of those things that's happened. Um, it's, a, it's a horrible injury. I mean, it really is. I mean, I've, I've seen people with dislocated shoulders. Unfortunately, it's just – it has snapped out. Um, and it's incredibly painful. And I'm not surprised by Kevin Love's reaction after the game either. I mean, you have to think, you know, you're sitting here preparing to go into the playoffs with a big chance of winning that NBA championship – and it's has been taken away from him. And I think you, you saw the way he came off the court that he realised in his own mind that this was serious and that it was going to play a part in when he was next going to, to go onto a basketball court. And you know, I can understand his frustration. He came out and blamed Lennox straight away. But I think that was more out of frustration. Um, maybe in hindsight, as, as time goes on, he might think very differently of that particular situation. But it's a it's a, a common thing where players do blame other players if. They are involved in the injury whether or not it was deliberate
0: right it it is a sort of a player's ego uh perspective, and yep. I think that i again i mean kevin love i I totally understand him taking the shot at alinnick mm-hmm. because, like you said, I mean we talked about it earlier um in the first topic that love has everything to win or lose from this playoffs essentially um so so I think that in that. In that moment, I think he was just angry and frustrated because yeah. if he opts out, this might cost him because if you think about it, some... You said some GMs are going to be worried about that shoulder injury. Granted, it's a non, uh, non-shooting non shoulder injury, but any type of injury scares off GMs.
1: So. Yeah, it does. And the thing is as well with a dislocated shoulder, for anyone who doesn't know anything about it, is once you dislocate it once, it can go again. It can It can certainly happen... Um, another time in the future because it's easier for it. To, it's easier for that particular thing to happen in the future. So that's something you do have to be aware of. And you know, I've seen sportsmen in other sports where that does actually happen. So, you know, it it's, it will play a part, but I don't think it'll play a huge part. I think you know, the GMS will still maybe look at look at Kevin Love, and you'll still get the, the offers. But I don't think it'll ultimately matter, as I say, for what we said earlier on.
0: Yeah, I don't think many GMs are going to get scared off from that. But no. bottom line, I think we both agree that it wasn't dirty, and no. there's not enough to prove that there was true malice intent. And maybe there wasn't it's just that sneaky. We don't really know. So <laughs> yeah,
1: I mean that that would be one of those like, funny stories that will come out later on if um, if that is the case. Yeah, it's it's not quite um, not quite like J.R. Smith swinging a, a a punch, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, I mean. It'd be funny if uh, Kevin Love ends up going to Boston or something, and he's like, yeah, yeah, I, I did that. That was all fun and games. Like, so Yeah,
1: i I want to be the guy in the locker room that separates those two at that point.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right, so uh, moving on, we got John Rondo, who was uh, originally, after Game 3, he was slated out with a back injury, what they called a back injury. And then later on that day, Rick Carlisle announced that Rondo played his last game in a Dallas uniform and that he's essentially benching him like like he did in 2012 with Lamar Odom. So with that being said, how surprised were you by the benching?
1: Um with Roshan, I don't think you should be surprised about a lot of things. I mean he he plays a game like a guy who's unhappy. For me, pretty much most of the time. Um You know, he had a very nice situation in Boston where he was playing with Hall of Famers. He then, when the Hall of Famers leave, he then has to try and be the main guy in Boston, and it it just doesn't work out because he can't be the focal point of an offense. So he then comes over to Dallas uh, with an opportunity to try and help the Mavericks um, make a run at a championship in a very deep Western Conference. So with that in mind, I mean, Rick was not going to take that decision lightly. Because Rondo is still for me going to help you more than he's going to harm you, but obviously in Rick Carlisle's mind that you know this this guy is a detriment right now to the team. Um, it's one of those things. Unfortunately, when you go back to the original trade, it's I was shocked when they made the trade. I thought it was an interesting move to make because I actually thought they were actually in a very good position leading up into that um, particular trade taking place, and of course they would then miss the guy as they traded away. Um, because they could have done with those guys on the bench and then having to try and combat the Houston Rockets without Rondo, without Chandler Parsons, become a very, very difficult task and one they couldn't overcome. But I was a, I was a bit shocked by the, the actual benching itself.
0: Yeah, you know, um, I was watching the game live. I uh, had my friend over. We were watching it, and those two plays where uh, – that one play where Rondo was – or Harden was posting up Rondo – he was just trying to follow him, and he just walked right off the court. And that's when I knew. I said in my mind that Rick Carlisle had to bench him. And yeah. I'm I'm on board with you. I thought that when the trade happened, I thought this was great. Rondo's averaging 10 assists with a bunch of nobodies. Imagine what he's going to do with a Hall of Famer and and two other potentially All Star caliber players around him, with with and also a big man who's great on the pick and roll. So I thought the, I thought he was going to average astronomical numbers in terms of assists, and I thought that this was what they needed. He could provide them defense, and he could just pass the ball and everything. But essentially, I was watching the game, and I was seeing that Devin Harris and J.J. Barea were outperforming Rondo. And at that point, it's just, you don't go three-point guards deep in the playoffs. And I think that combined with his attitude and just the fact that he wasn't playing well, I think it was... I think it was a relatively easy decision for Rick Carlisle to make.
1: Yeah, I mean it's is it is one of those things. I mean, you know, who knows what goes through uh, Rick Carlisle's mind, but I mean it's um you know, it's the, the the whole scenario of having to go into that series and you think you know you get to a point of I've got to bench Rondo because it's for the better of the team. I've got to bench him. I mean, that's quite a, a sad indictment of like everything that's happened in the in the last couple of weeks in terms of the Dallas Mavericks I mean we go you know like JJ Peravant and and Felton out playing him. Mean, Brea was, was certainly playing very very well but I mean I was, I was a bit surprised in so much that I expected him to maybe bench him but not have that that final thing you will not wear a Dallas Mavericks uniform for the for basically the rest of the year and you will go I I do not want you around here and and he didn't even have to come into this team and actually provide any sort of shooting, which is one of the things that a lot of people level at him, is that he hasn't got a great jump shot. All he had to do, as you say, is just provide you know, assists, defense, find the open man, and that's, that's all he had to do. Because Dallas was one of the top-scoring teams at the time he came over. So he, he should have just enhanced them and got them out playing. And from a defensive standpoint, if he'd have been locked in and actually been able to play defense... Creating turnovers and that would have helped as well, and creating some easy baskets for them. But from the moment he arrived, to me, he wasn't locked in. He just wasn't bothered. I mean, in the end, Boston were quite glad. I think quite glad to get rid of him.
0: Yeah, I mean, you you saw it. Um, I was looking at the numbers, and before he went to Boston, or I mean, I'm sorry, when he was in Boston, he wasn't. Uh, he wasn't shooting many shots, and I remember like his first ten games in Dallas, he's shooting like three threes a game, and he's yeah. just doing all this crazy stuff. It's like What are you trying to prove? You know your role. Just do what you did in Boston, and you'll be fine. So I think from the beginning, there was a bit of a power trip. Like, he wanted to say, okay, I'm on a contending team now, but I want to prove that I'm the best guy. I want to prove that I'm the alpha dog. So I kind of think that that's where Rondo's head was. Again, I'm not entirely sure, but uh, uh, also another thing to point out is this is the second time, as I mentioned earlier, uh, with Lamar Odom getting benched in the playoffs I believe that was twenty twelve uh, a couple of years back, and mm-hmm. with that being said, I mean, is it something about Rick Carlisle? Is it something that we should draw suspicion to Rick Carlisle or is this just players having bad attitude?
1: Uh, I think it's more the players, but it also shows off that Rick Carlisle you know is no nonsense, he won't put up with it you know I think that's the the main thing you can take from that, and you know this is he's basically saying you know this is my team, and I don't care who you are if you're not going to uh, play the way I want you to play, then there's a place at the end of the bench for you and you're not going to play. You know, when you think about the fact that they've got probably one of the most unselfish players to ever played this game in the last 20 years in Dirk, you know, and you think about like, a guy like a, a Rajan Rondo that's almost like the anti-Dirk, almost with his attitudes to the game. Um, the thing is with Rondo as well is the fact that he's, you know, being a penny-free agent, I think what he's also going to find is that the market is very, very small for him it is really the Lakers or nothing else because he's unfortunate in a way that there are so many uh, teams out there with very good point guards. They're not even going to take one look at Rondo. I mean, this was one of the teams he could have gone to to try and make an impression in Dallas. And If he had have you know played very well, then he would have got a new contract and he'd have been set up. Now he's only going to look at the Lakers, and the Lakers are probably going to take one look at it and go, hang on a minute, if we're the only team that's actually in the running for Rondo, why on earth should we offer him any any big-time money here because – you know there 's no one competing for him I mean at one point Rondo would have been the kind of guy that a lot of people may have thrown max money at. you want to throw max money at Rondo now without a doubt
0: yeah yeah that's a question to certainly intrigue out. I see our first take up uh, how much do you think that this um, that this whole situ- Rondo situation how much do you think this costed him in terms of free agency money
1: I mean, it's, it's cost him a few million uh, um, on a yearly basis I mean you know, I think he's gone from a max player to maybe a guy that's going to get you know dollars $10, $10 a year. I mean, let's not feel sorry for him here. He's still going to get he's still going to get that kind of money, but yeah. you know, I mean, it's not going it's not going to be max money now. Um, yeah, definitely. And the thing is as well, it's not, it's not even the fact. As I say, that it scared teams off. It's the fact that yeah, there are teams out there that have got point guards. I mean, you can pretty much name an NBA team out there and tell and say what their point guard is. Yeah. Because he's a point guard heavy league at the moment. We were blessed with some great point guards. Um, and Rondo's not got many situations out there that you'd sit and think, well, yeah, he can go into that situation and be able to contribute straight away. Maybe it's LA, maybe it's New York, but there isn't much else out there. You know, I think for, his hope will be that there will be maybe a couple of other teams that might want to get involved in some kind of bidding war and he'll benefit from that, but I don't think he will do.
0: Yeah, there's going to be a few desperate teams like New York and L.A. Uh, I mean, they should realistically, they should just play it smart and just lowball the hell out of them. Because oh, yeah. outside of the outside Lakers in New York, I mean, who do you think would even go for Rondo?
1: I don't think there is. I think that's their market, and that's why I think for him, unfortunately, he's got a very, very small market. I mean, there are other guys out there that you can normally name about six, seven, eight teams that are going to go after a player. Rondo as. I say he's got a few things against him. One, he's not helped his own cause. Two, the fact that there's a lot of teams out with other point guards, and there are other teams and there are teams that are willing to take that risk. I mean, the Lakers is pretty much the the number one destination for him. And if if the Lakers decide to make a serious run at Kevin Love, I don't see how they're going to throw money at Love and at Rondo. So maybe that would be a real bad scenario for Rondo is if the Lakers actually make a run at Love and actually get Kevin Love.
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean. Uh, the thing I wonder is what is uh how does Kobe take all this? Do you think Kobe still wants Rondo? Because, I mean, you know Kobe's that diehard, fierce competitor. Yeah. Um
1: I think I think he'd want uh Kevin Love before he'd want uh Rajon Rondo, but um I, too. I think the other thing I suppose the humorous side of it, you could look at it as a point of view that if he can convince Rondo to not take the shots and just to pass in the ball, then maybe he's the ideal backcourt partner for him anyway. Yeah, but <laughs> I, I, I really think if if they're going to make a run at this, the Lakers in terms of what they can look at in free agency is got to be Kevin Love first and foremost. I don't think you should be looking at Rondo unless you can get him for, you know, a lot less money. They, they, there's other options out there that you should be looking at. You know, even like a guy like a uh, Lamarcus Aldridge is another guy you should be looking at. And I think that's what you need to look at before you even, even consider going and getting a point guard. Because in the end of the day, all the Lakers want from a point guard is a guy that can pass the ball. Yeah. You don't really need a score-heavy point guard because yeah. ultimately everything's just going to go through Kobe and whatever the second option is. So why do you need to go out there and really spend money heavily on a point guard? But then again, the Lakers don't always spend money the right way. I mean, the, the money they've given Kobe Bryant is is one of the things that's handcuffed them over the last few years because it's, it just means that they can't make the relevant moves they need to and then the other thing for me is from a Lakers point of view is that why would you want to hamper some of the growth of some of the younger guys you know a guy like a Julius Randle um, who unfortunately haven't seen that much of due to the injury you know you, do you just roll with it for a while and wait for the salary cap to increase and then decide to be, give yourself a chance of making the big moves rather than trying to sort out Rondo give him give him the money and then think to yourself hang on a minute we've made a poor decision here
0: Yeah. I mean, it's going to be interesting how it plays off and how fast teams offer Rondo that contract and how much it's actually worth. I remember Stephen A. Smith on First Take saying that Rondo lost essentially forty million because if you think about, it, you priced him around the ten million range, I'd go around eight to $10 mil a year. Um, yeah, and a max contract starts at like twenty. So, so I mean, yeah, for essentially you lost forty forty million dollars.
1: Yeah, it's, crazy. it's a crazy amount of money. I say Let, Let's not feel too sorry for him though because he is still getting about $10 million a year but yeah. there's a hell of a lot of point guards out there that are going to be paid a lot more money than he is and he still thinks he's a, he's a top point guard in his league. Unfortunately, Rajon Rondo isn't because every month that goes by, you can pretty much name another point guard and sleep fogged over him.
0: Yeah, and um, with, I think that's all we need to say for Rondo. Um, it's going to be interesting how that free agency plays out and now we move on to the Oklahoma City Thunder, who did not, as you um, as you mentioned, did not make the playoffs, so they ousted Scott Brooks and now hired Florida Gators coach Billy Donovan as their next head coach. Was he the right fit?
1: I mean, he seems to be the guy that they wanted. Um, I believe the terms of the deal was something in the region of $30 million over over five years. Um, I think the surprising thing for me is that I'm... I've got nothing against what he's been able to um, do at the college level, and it seems to be, you know, one of these schools. I thought you go down to college level, you know, Boston have done it uh, very successfully with Brad Stevens, um, but I was expecting a guy with some NBA head coaching experience. Um, you've got the Kevin, you've got the Kevin Durant impending free agency. You've got the Russell Westbrook impending free agency coming up. And and I'm sure that those two guys have had a hell of a say. Kevin Durant certainly would have had a, had a say in exactly who's coming in. But I'm a bit surprised when you think about the Western Conference as a whole. Does Billy Donovan immediately, in your mind, get them back into the playoffs? Well, he does because of the fact that they'll have hopefully a healthy Durant, hopefully a healthy Westbrook going forward. But does he make them that much better than what Scott Brooks would have done with exactly the same players? That's where I'm not convinced. Does he take him to the next level? You got, you know, you got a, a very good Golden State team. Houston are on the rise. Memphis are on the rise. San Antonio will always be there, while they're about. So it kind of almost put, puts OKC Canada in that in that fifth to eighth spot at the moment. I still don't think he takes him above that. But I mean, you can't question a hire from what he brings in. And um, obviously, Orlando made a run at him a few years ago, and then he just he decided not to take that uh, contract in the end. He's finally come into the NBA, and as I say, he's got a hell of a coaching pedigree from these these NCAA championships as as a member of the Florida Gators. But I'm a bit surprised, but that's the guy they wanted, and they went out and and got the job done very quickly.
0: Yeah, um, I I was against this from the beginning. Uh, I don't think that... I think Billy Donovan's a good coach, don't get me wrong, but I think he's, one, more tailored for college, and two, I don't think, like you said, I don't think he gets you much better than what Scott Brooks was. And Scott Brooks' problem was he didn't have any creativity. He was kind of like a Vinny Del Negro in a sense where uh, people said that he just couldn't draw up plays, he couldn't Mm. um, execute an offense, and and I'm on board with that. And I would have liked to have seen them get, as you said, an NBA experienced coach, somebody who's a players coach, somebody who uh, demands the respect of the players and that guys like Durant and Westbrook would respect because I don't think right off the bat, I don't think that Durant and Westbrook have mutual respect for uh, Billy Donovan. I just don't. I just don't. Um, That's why I would have liked to have seen them target a guy like Mark Jackson, a guy who I believe it's kind of outrageous that he doesn't have a coaching job right now. And I think that his defensive mentality plus his uh, players, uh, his title as a player's coach, I, I think it would have worked well. I think if you, you could go out, you could always go out and find some type of smart guy like an Alvin Gentry to be your um, assistant coach who's more offensively geared because I don't think Mark Jackson's the greatest offensive coach, but I don't think you need to be when you have Terrain Westbrook. Um, so I think that if they could have just... If, if, look, if they could have been the same... If they post the same numbers offensively that they did under Scott Brooks... But they, improve, but they have Mark Jackson's defense. I think they're a title-contended team. So I would have liked to have seen that. Do you? What What other selection would you like to have seen?
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously, Mark Jackson is a, a really good shell. I mean, you talk about you know how much coaching would he have to have done on an offensive from an offensive point of view. I mean, that kind of always brings me back to the, the Steve Kerr situation in Golden State. I mean, how much offensive coaching does Steve Kerr do, do you think, in Golden State? I'm right. not going to hold it against him. You know, but I don't think it, it's big time coaching when you look at it. He's just, you know, he's got a, a, an offensively minded of players around him that are very talented that can make very quick decisions on the court. You know, Steve Kerr does do coaching, but it's, you know, he's still got a hell of a hell of a lot of players around him. Um, outside of Mark Jackson, I mean, the guy that I think will get linked with any NBA head coaching job in the summer, and could very well have been linked with this one, had the Bulls not still been in the playoffs, would have been um, Tom Thibodeau, because, I mean, for me, I don't think he's going to be coaching past this summer anyway. Um, A very player-orientated coach, gets the best out of all of his players on any given night, has got a pedigree for taking teams to the playoffs and doing well in the playoffs that maybe shouldn't do as well as they should have done. I mean, I look back at the the series against the the Brooklyn Nets a few years ago where he pretty much didn't have much of a team and he still managed to turn over the Brooklyn Nets. He's given Miami a, a couple of fits at times despite it only being five-game series. There's still been times during those series where you could have seen where Chicago maybe could have at least won a couple more games and, and, and certainly given it a bit of a run. And, you know, from a, even from a coaching standpoint, in the regular season, I think he always, for me gets more wins than he should have done. I mean, look at the coaching jobs he's done without Derek Rose. I mean, they're devastating uh, times for a team sometimes when you lose that superstar player and you've then got to try and get the very best out of other players. I mean, people calling the point guard whisper because of guys like a DJ Augustine, a CJ Watson, a John Lucas III, those kind of players that you can just plug into that offense and get the best out of. I mean, Aaron Brooks is another example this year as well. So I think Thibodeau would have been a guy that could have elevated a lot of people. The only thing is, is that would he have liked some of those players from a defensive standpoint? I mean, that's one of the big keys. But I think he did a hell of a lot with Carl Corver. I mean, Carl Korver, when he came over to the Bulls, was a guy that was, was just a shooter, and that was it. It was Tom Thibodeau that started working on the defensive side of things. And you would have to say now that... Kyle Korver in Atlanta, is a, he's not a defensive stopper by any means, but he's certainly a, a very capable defensive player now, and that's the reason why he's starting this league, and not just a six man or something like that.
0: Yeah, yeah, Kyle Corvin definitely holds, your own, uh, holds his own now on defense. I think that's that's yeah. a great point. I think that, again, Tom Thibodeau is great at plugging in uh, players, and and I think that, as we all know, he's, a, he's an amazing defensive coach. And, The only problem I have is the kind of wear and tear he puts on his bodies. Pairing that with Westbrook or Durant with their now... I mean, they've now established that they have injury histories because a foot for a seven-footer, I don't care that he plays small forward. Kevin Durant is essentially a seven-footer. seven-footer with foot problems are very scary. Uh, Athletic, athletic, super-athletic point guards with knee problems are also very scary. So... I mean, I love Tom Thibodeau, and I think he should get a coaching job like a Pelicans or somewhere. But I don't know if OKC is the right fit. But then again, I I do think it would be better than Billy Donovan.
1: Oh yeah, I, I think it would be better than Billy Donovan. And anyway, what you say? I mean, we t- we talk about like af- athletic point guards. I mean, Derek Rose is a prime example. Is that, you know, those guys' windows are a lot smaller than some other players. Anyway, and then when right. you add in the injury history as well, then that that window gets even smaller. I mean, the guys, again, with foot problems, I mean, take a look at Kevin Durant, his past season, I mean, he he came back, and then he was injured again, and it was almost like, well, hang on a second, we don't know when Kevin Durant's coming back, because he's just got to get this rest, and just this foot's got to heal, Um, we're not taking any chances, and I agree with the team not taking chances, I mean, you wouldn't take a chance like that, but yeah, I mean, it's now the history, and these injuries over a period of time will begin to gradually mount up, and you... And there's always that little thought in your back of your head, have we seen the very best of that player? You know, yeah. And it's not unreasonable to think that. I mean, you look at Derek Rose in Chicago, Is the Bulls fans have come to a very real realisation that they have actually seen the very best of Derek Rose, and the best of Derek Rose was four years ago. The yeah. injuries have taken its toll. He's no longer the MVP-type player that they had four years ago. It's unfortunate he picked up an injury in a playoff game that he should have been out of. But it's one of those things, unfortunate, happens. You know, and there are guys now that around this league that injuries have ruined their careers. You only have to look back at guys like Penny Hardaway, Grant Hill. I mean, Grant did incredibly well to come back and play at the level he played at. But I mean, I think a guy like Penny Hardaway, I mean, his career was just cut short because of injuries. He was a dynamic player when he first came in the league. He was. If, so when you look at our guys now that are picking up these injuries, team, fans and teams should start to be very fearful of these guys picking up injuries because they could very well be the next Penny Hardaway.
0: Yeah. Um, with Tom Thibodeau, I mean, I would – the way I'd look at it is if I was OKC, okay, I would have – I mean, I'm just thinking of this right now. Would you, would you do, like, a two-year deal with Tom Thibodeau where, like, he could just – Two years just ground and pound. You probably take two years off of the players doing during that two years. But I mean, that would be if you if you really want to buy in and get a title. I think that would be a good way to go because I think after year three, year four, year five, like you said, players might as well as the fans, as well as um, as well as the the upper management, just see that you're running these players down. So I think Tom Thibodeau is more of a short-term kind of coach instead of a five-year, five-year coach.
1: No, I, I completely agree. Those types of coaching hires should be in the in the shorter term because yeah, players do get very tired of it. I mean, you take a look at the Chicago situation. I mean, the one thing I've always levied against Tom Thibodeau is the way he handles minutes of players. He mm-hmm. plays players way too many minutes. In meaningless games. Um, I'm not going to hold him responsible for the Derek Rose injury. It's just one of those freak things that happens. But, you know, in hindsight, I think even he would probably admit that maybe Derek shouldn't have been on the court at that particular moment in time. But there are other instances of guys, you know, he always has guys at the very top of their minute scale. You look at it, I mean, Lowell Dang was always one of the league leaders in minutes. Jimmy Butler plays ridiculous minutes. Joachim Noah played way too many minutes a few years ago, and that's beginning to catch up on him now. So you've got to try and keep these guys in in the shorter term um, because otherwise it's all very well when you're successful, potentially winning a title or things like that. You tend to put some of these things aside. But after a while, when you start hitting, you know, not bad times, but lesser times, all of a sudden players start tuning out. And when mm-hmm. players start tuning out, then you lose the locker room and then you've got to go. You can only be focused for so long. The Bulls play every regular season game like it's game seven of the NBA finals. It's not a good situation to be in over the long term.
0: Yeah, I don't I don't know how many players are actually sick of Tom Thibodeau. I think it's more so just the management's had enough. Yeah. I think like I think that even Joaquin Noah, he probably knows in the back of his mind that yeah, Tom Thibodeau wore me down, took out a couple of years in my playing career, but I think Joaquin Noah and Derek Rosenham, I think they still love Tom Thibodeau. I don't think they have anything against him so I don't think it's I think it's more so the management and just the toll that it takes on the bodies and who knows maybe after uh, Thibodeau's gone and a couple years later Rose maybe he just needs a couple years to kind of rest and reset and he he might not get that MVP level but he might be back in the conversation or something or same with Joaquin Noah a couple years from now he's having an awful season this year but he could have a renaissance season at age 31, 32 in a couple years from now.
1: Yeah, they've I mean in terms of Derry Rose he's got to completely re almost reinvent himself. I mean mm-hmm. he's not the the best jump shooter around. um he takes way too many threes and doesn't shoot them at a high enough percentage for my liking. So he's got to work more on his um on his jump shooting and that would be my one thing I'd levy against him if he hasn't got the athleticism. I mean it's one thing we have seen in the playoffs at times. Is he has driven to the rim with authority, and that's been a pleasing sign from my point of view. Is that he's not showing away from that. He doesn't do it as much as I'd like him to. But in terms of you know the, the history behind the balls in recent years, I mean uh, John Paxson put Vinny Del Negro up against a wall for the way that he handled minutes with Joachim Noah when he was injured. Even under Vinny Del Negro's reign, um, I'm not saying that John Paxson would put Tom Thibodeau up against a wall, but he certainly did it against Vinny, Neg- Vinny Del Negro. Um, you know, so after so you you do begin to understand at times where these relationships become very fractious and it's sometimes that you do need to have that divorce and coaches do need to leave and, and I think unfortunately I think we've got to a point in Chicago where Thibodeau is gone really unless he wins a title, I don't I don't think you'll ever see a scenario where a guy wins a title and he's then let go. But I think that the balls are almost itching to get rid of him from from an upper management standpoint.
0: Again, guys, thank you for listening. That wraps up the um, the first part of the episode. Uh, I'm Chris Platty. Thank you for listening. This is episode one of the Shot Clock. I am on Twitter at Crispy Eleven Thirty Two. Stephen, why don't you tell him where you're at? Yeah, you can
1: find me on Twitter at Stephen T. U. K. It's been a pleasure doing it.
0: Yeah, it's it's been great. Um, you can find our our show notes at ViewpointNetwork.com/ShotClock and subscribe through iTunes, Stitcher, or any other way by searching The Shot Clock. Thanks for tuning in, guys. See you next time.